This is 91.3 FM KUAF, a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. And this is Ozarks at Large for Monday, May 16th, 2022. I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. And I'm Timothy Dennis. On today's show, we hear from the CEO of Bentonville-based Canoe, an electric vehicle manufacturer, regarding criticism about that company's long-term viability. And I'll sit down with two of the members of the band The Flip-Off Pirates ahead of the release of their third album. Those stories and more ahead on today's Ozarks at Large. First, Walmart, the world's largest retailer, has partnered with international recycling leader TerraCycle to pilot several recycling centers for non-recyclable materials in our region. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich explains. You know the feeling. You cleanse and place items in your recycling bin and come trash collection day, you find the item has been rejected, destined for the trash heap. But Marie-Agnes Dumas, senior vice president with TerraCycle, is here to help. Her company's mission, she says, is to eliminate once and for all the notion of waste. And the way we go about it is basically by understanding the uh, equation of why there are certain types of waste that are not recyclable or locally recyclable. That's where everything basically starts. Recycling first took root in the U.S. in the 1980s, starting with drop-off recycling centers and later recycling trucks, collecting glass, plastic, paper, and cardboard curbside. Recycling codes are now imprinted on containers, for example, plastic drinking water bottles, but certain polymer blends, white yogurt containers, and clear plastic spinach boxes are not easily resmelted into new yogurt containers and clear plastic spinach boxes. In the world, basically, or in the universe, everything is recyclable. The only reason why certain type of wastes are not locally recyclable versus others is because of a very simple business equation. Dumas is referring to logistics, the cost of collecting raw recycled materials for transport and reprocessing. It must be profitable. For example, like uh, glass. I grew up, you know, in Europe and glass is like gold. It's, it's very valuable. And obviously, you know, transparent glass definitely is recyclable because the cost of logistic and processing are lower than the value that the recycler can get out of the uh, recycled uh, glass. By contrast, Favel collects glass containers but doesn't resell it. It doesn't earn enough money on resale. The city instead crushes the bottles for reuse in municipal construction projects, for example, to amend gravel and subsurfacing of roads. But TerraCycle is collaborating with what she refers to as brand partners like Unilever, Nestle, Procter & Gamble, PepsiCo, and Mattel, as well as major retailer Walmart to recycle more waste. So the way that um, everything started, it started because um, in the U.S., the consumer or so-called customers have, have become a lot more aware of you know the implication of um, the I would say the pollution and um, the topics around sustainability. Sustainable waste management ranges from reducing or even avoiding single-use plastic water bottles to recovering the raw materials from all packaging, including unrecyclable stuff. To that end, 
TerraCycle, in partnership with Walmart, has installed experimental drop-off community unrecycling hubs in front of super centers in Springdale and Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, as well as Sam's Club in Fayetteville, the first such hubs in the U.S. to accept such items. So the time frame for this one, it's um, six months. So it goes all the way to the month of September, uh, towards the end of September. And during that time frame, that's when we're going to look at, you know, what works and what could be improved uh, in order to be ready to uh, scale. And the number of uh, hubs for the second phase will be defined according to what we're going to learn from that pilot. When they come to shop, patrons can bring unrecyclable beauty and oral care containers, clear salad boxes, pet and baby food and drink pouches, coffee capsules, shipping materials, plastic toys, plastic bags, even worn clothing. The recovered materials will be transported to facilities for reprocessing into raw material. We're going to do the manual sorting or you know mechanical sorting to make sure that it goes by a specific you know, uh, type of waste stream. And then once we have sufficient volume and quantity, it's then sent to the recyclers. Then the recyclers transform the materials into you know, new products. Patrons are asked to wash containers of all food and cosmetic debris prior to drop-off, which protects recycling supply chain workers and adds value to resource recovery. Because then again, it makes the process afterwards of, uh, you know, cleaning and uh, sorting a lot, you know, a lot easier. So we usually try to ask uh, the customers to come, you know, prepared. The pilot unrecycling hubs are open Monday through Thursday from noon to 4 p.m. and from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Friday through Sunday. Search Community Recycling Hub on walmart.com to learn more. We also provide that link on our news site. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Governor Asa Hutchinson has announced a 2% increase for state employee salaries. That was in February. But a recent report by the Arkansas Legislative Audit questions the legal basis of the salary increases in the Attorney General's office. 35 employees at the AG's office received lump sum payments that were rescinded by the Office of Personnel and Management. The Attorney General's office requested a reversal to reinstate the payments. The audit found that all 35 employees received a 2% raise, which resulted in the office exceeding appropriations for salaries by more than $37,000. Brian Bowen, Chief of Staff for Attorney General Leslie Rutledge, says she has the authority to make these appropriations. Simple answer is our constitutional authority to give raises and and in our appropriation, we are not prohibited from doing this. According to the report, auditors wrote they couldn't identify any laws that would allow the attorney general to increase employee salaries past the maximum line item appropriations. Frank Airy, legal counsel for the Arkansas Legislative Audit, said the AG's office could have made the increases under state law if they didn't exceed the maximum appropriations amount. Our issue at this point with the AG's office is, okay, if you're not using this, what are you using? And we still haven't had a citation to anything other than it was the AG's discretion. In a letter responding to the report, the Attorney General's office wrote that the Attorney General has the authority to increase salaries since the office is exempt from the Uniform Classification and Compensation Act, which gives the Office of Personnel and Management oversight of salaries. 
The Arkansas Broadband Office and the Department of Commerce are hosting a forum today to get input on plans to expand broadband access to all Arkansans. On the weekend edition of Talk Business and Politics, Lou McAllister, head of the Broadband Development Group, said one of the toughest decisions for state policymakers will be how to get fiber optic cable to roughly 10,000 households in the most remote parts of the state, which could cost more than $200 million. Jokingly, we, we talk about it would be cheaper to move people into town and buy, you know, build them a house. Uh, but we don't tell people where to live. People can live where they want to live. Um, so that is going to be the policy debate. And you know, we're, if we spend that money, there's no guarantee that that person is going to buy service. There's no guarantee that that person is going to be able to afford to buy service. According to the report released in April, around 210,000 households in the state do not have access to broadband Internet service. The report says nearly 200,000 of those households can get access through a combination of federal grants and projects, which could cost the state 250 to 350 million dollars. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. The 35th annual May Arts Festival continues in Eureka Springs. This month-long celebration includes live music, various art exhibits and tours, poetry slam, and more. EurekaSpringsFestivalOfTheArts.org for an event schedule and more information. The Lunch Hour, KUAF's monthly concert series, returns May 19th with a performance by Adam Fawcett and food from the Farmer's Table Cafe. This happy hour edition of the Lunch Hour begins at 5 p.m. Space is limited. Registration and more information at KUAF.com. The Lunch Hour is sponsored by George's Majestic Lounge Happy Hour Concerts, a Fayetteville tradition for over 40 years. More at George'sLive.com. This is Ozarks at Large. The Arkansas-based electric vehicle company Canoe held its first quarterly earnings call of 2022 last week, which drew plenty of attention from media about the long-term ability for the company to survive. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore spoke to CEO Tony Aquila to better understand the status of the organization. The top bullet point on Canoe's first quarterly earnings report reads, quote, Our management has performed an analysis and has identified substantial doubt about our ability to continue as a going concern, end quote. A going concern is an accounting term for a company that has the resources needed to continue operating indefinitely. So, for the top line of an earnings report to say they have substantial doubt is, well, concerning. Naturally, the phrase substantial doubt has led most of the reporting, but CEO Tony Aquila says it's not uncommon for a company in this stage to say this, comparing Canoe to the most well-known EV company in America. Tesla, for example, did it in 2018. They declared, because you've got capital uh, requirements for building out facilities and so on. So that is not uncommon. Aquila was surprised that much of the coverage focused on this statement and not on the fact that they have had more than 17,000 pre-orders or that they had also raised $600 million in accessible capital. Why this one got such different kind of coverage, like, for example, it didn't cover the capital we raised or the philosophy that we discussed, which is, you know, why raise a bunch of capital in a bad market? It's not the smartest thing raise capital judiciously. Um, I also believe that 
never having too much capital in a in a early stage company is is a good thing because you don't want anyone comfortable. You want to be aggressive and on the balls of your feet and use your capital super super efficiently. So, you know, from my perspective, I've never felt better. Another worry brought up during the earnings call was that supply chain issues have worsened. Computer chips have been hard to come by since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, and car makers have not been immune to the issue. Aquila says canoe vehicles use about half as many chips as a standard internal combustion car, but they've had supply issues for other components, in part because of the Russian war on Ukraine. So the chips that when we start to sell to consumers end of this year, early next year, and I think the impact in the quarter, you know, and of course, all this is quite fluid. As you've seen, the market just kind of really is weird between the war. I mean, since you and I talked, a lot of bad global stuff has gone gone on. And because, uh, you know, palladium comes out of the Ukraine, wiring harnesses. I mean, it's just it's. You know, so so we went from, you know, having more confidence to having more items that are challenging that confidence. But we're still we still have secured everything through the TT build. You know, as you as you see the reporting that's coming out from, you know, everyone from The Verge to Reuters, you know, there's a lot of a lot of press that seems to be pretty doom and gloom. What sort of impact does that have on you personally when you see this sort of reporting coming out and and you want to try and get the record straight and and not necessarily overly optimistically look at things, but kind of be a little more realistic and to say that, like, yes, there are some concerns, but that doesn't mean, you know, the canoe is going under in the next six months, right? How do you find that balance? Yeah, you know, you know, to one soul, it's a bit like kryptonite, right? Because I definitely appreciate people's anxiety about reporting, and there are good reporting mechanisms out there. But somehow, some of it has been, you know, it's more about the catchphrase. As you know, you know this far better than I do. And, you know, but yet when you read into the details, it's a bit different. It's, it's, it's a bit manipulated. So, you know, I don't really like it. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to focus on your company and your product and your people and the markets you're addressing. Do you think that these speculative concerns and and anxiety will come down a little bit once vehicles are actually able to be bought by normal consumers? You know, somebody pretty wise in the Oklahoma, state of Oklahoma told me, he said, hey, Tony, you know, don't get too discouraged if selective uh, pickups happen. It's a political cycle. You know, there's a lot of other things going on. Some of it has to do with incentive attacks. You know, we haven't taken one cent yet. You know, we're, we've already invested in clearing the land. And we'll phase everything appropriately. I mean, you know, you pace your capital, right? So, you know, just like a household does, right? I mean, that's what an entrepreneur does. So do I think it'll go away? Sure. But when I think markets are bad, it's really great to be the person you know, and it's really shameful when the markets are good, when you're sitting there being a doubter. But as an innovator, you can't be a doubter in a down market because you'll die. I mean, the Verge and these magazines, you know, a lot of these these entities have kind of become, you know, the inquirer of, you know, the Internet. You know, it's like some, you know, it's like people just want you to click. 
CEO of Canoe, Tony Aquila. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. The Razorback baseball team's home conference winning streak is no more. Going into the weekend, the Diamond Hogs were fourth ranked in the SEC, and they had the longest active home series winning streak in the conference. The Razorbacks started the weekend series against Vanderbilt Friday when they lost in 10 innings 9-6. Saturday's game, the ending of which was played on Sunday because of weather, resulted in the Hogs defeating Vanderbilt 11-6. But the third game in the set clinched the win for Vandy 5-0. With the weekend upset, Arkansas's SEC home record falls to 18-2 over the past four seasons. The Diamond Hogs finish regular season play this weekend on the road in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Meanwhile, the Razorback softball team has received a number four seed for the NCAA tournament. That's the highest national seed in program history. As a result, the fifth-ranked Razorback softball team in Bogle Park will host the NCAA tournament regional the second year in a row for the program. The Fayetteville Regional will also welcome number 24 Oregon, Wichita State, and Princeton, with which the Razorbacks will face off Friday evening. This week's matchup with Princeton, by the way, is the first time both teams have met in the program's history. One interesting fact about these four gentlemen that are sitting to my left, over 200 years of experience in broadcasting. That equates to 171,840 hours of radio. Yeah, I'm tired. (laughs) This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Daniel Carruth. And a few weeks ago, uh, we talked to you about an event in Little Rock that honored four Central Arkansas radio broadcasters. And as you just heard uh, from event organizer Danny Joe Crawford, these broadcasters collectively have put out centuries of time on the air. And the prior center's Randy Dixon was at the two-hour-plus live unscripted event and recorded it to preserve it on the website. It's posted on the front page right now, so just Google prior center, and you can stream that entire evening right now. And Randy Dixon joins me in the Karen Taha News Studio today to go over some highlights from the event. How's it Hi, going, Daniel. Randy? Daniel. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Right. This, yeah, this was a two-hour-plus event. Four guys that, well, they called them legends. <laughs> I would say uh, they were. I mean, I've, yeah. I grew up listening to these guys, or at least my entire adult life. And um, to get the four of them together was very unusual. I don't think they've ever been together in, in one uh, gathering before. Right, first time, one setting, get, hashing it all out from yeah, the golden age. Well, of Well, in a really, Radio. really funny sort of way. I yeah. mean, it's it's worth a watch, and it's on our website. Uh, you can go to events, and uh, it's one of the events, Legends of Broadcasting. All right, and yeah. we have um, uh, the organizer, Danny Joe Crawford, is going to tell us a little bit about it. Yes, about- and and who is being honored. As far as Central Arkansas goes, these guys are the Mount Rushmore of Arkansas radio. Uh, Tommy Smith, Bob Robbins, Craig O'Neill, Broadway Joe, those four guys, they're synonymous uh, with their stations. When you think of the stations that they're at, they are the face, and uh, they've done so much. And these guys, they have outlasted Everybody that's come through, you talk about four guys that stayed in the same market, each one of them 
over 30 years, with Broadway Joe being the youngest of the four. He's been in this market for over 30 years, and uh, of course – uh, Bob Robbins has been in this market for seven decades. Like I said, uh, it was just an amazing thing to be able to pull it off, to be able to get all four of these guys on the same stage together. Never been done before. So, yeah, Danny Joe uh, worked with Tommy Smith for about 20 years. And uh, he was kind of their in-the-field producer kind of guy that they would have do crazy stuff. Like one time during rush hour in the morning, Tommy had him go out, um, you know, it, the interstate, uh, the clover leaves. You know, there's a like usually a big center area that's grassy. And he had him out there with a female mannequin dressed up and had him digging a grave. <laughs> well, you can imagine what ensued, and it involved the police. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's just some of the kind of stuff they used to pull on. Uh, Timing was with Magic One Hundred Five, right? And then later the Buzz. But uh, well, let, you want to just hear some highlights from the evening? And sure. Then let's before if, we do though. Okay. Uh, can you just for people who maybe who didn't grow up in in Central Arkansas, or maybe are new and, and don't know these guys? Or, yeah. Why, why are they significant? Why? What does well, it mean to have them all together like this? Well, and I think Broadway Joe uh, brings us up. Broadway Joe is originally from the Pine Bluff area, uh, KIPR, which is urban mm-hmm. music. That's genre. And then Tommy Smith handled rock and roll and uh, later sports. Right. And then Bob Robbins was the king of country uh, on KSSN. And uh, then Craig O'Neill was with KKYK. And then later, well, now he's the main news anchor on the CBS television station down in Little Rock, KTHV. I think uh, Broadway Joe here kind of sums up the importance of uh, this gathering. I think I did an interview with... uh uh, one of the newspaper, and they were asking about this event, and I was telling them, they were asking what makes it special. Now, I don't know a market this size where you have uh, three unique individual or four unique individuals that have been on the same radio station doing radio, you know, rock and roll, country, top 40, and urban uh, for this long, uh, at this size. So I think it's, it's special for me to be here tonight. Broadway Joe speaking at the Legends of Radio event in Little Rock from March. Yeah, Joe Booker. Um, Now let's hear from Tommy Smith. I probably know him better uh, than any of them because we used to do things with KTV all the time, and I believe it all started. I was with Paul Eels at a Southwest Conference championship, and we were doing a live shot in the morning show, and – we needed some time to fill. And I saw Tommy standing around the corner. They were doing a break in his show, so I grabbed him and said, come on over here and talk to Paul Eels. And I said, just give us, you know, three or four or five minutes. And he left his show to come over <laughs> and be on daybreak. But, you know, we've had something with Paul Eels or had something with Paul Eels and uh, Magic 105 and then the buzz ever since. Yeah, and you still uh, show up on the buzz every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. I'll call in. Yeah, and I'll do some occasional sports clips from the archives and that sort of thing. But um, 
so Tommy talks about sort of the early days of when they all kind of went head to head in the mornings. But you know, we were all four on the air at the same time in a war, battling. Right. We, we wanted, it, it took me a while to catch up. Well, I never knew y'all's asses were there. <laughs> That's Tommy Smith speaking at the Legends of Broadcast event uh, from last March that Randy Dixon was at and hearing some highlights from that. Yeah, now Craig is another guy I know really well. Um, We did a series of reports in the 80s on morning radio in Little Rock, and it included Tommy Smith, Craig O'Neill, and Bob Robbins, not Broadway Joe because he he came later. I did these reports and spent the you know the whole morning in the control room with these guys just to see what they did and how they did it. And uh, so Craig O'Neill uh, actually was in the the lobby of when I applied for a job at KKYK. I was still in college and brought my resume tape which was horrible, by the way. (laughs) But he saw me out in the lobby and had no idea who I was. I was 19 years old, and he came over and said hello and introduced himself and gave me some words of encouragement, which he didn't have to do, but uh, I thought that was nice. Anyway, so I met him when I was young in the business or about to be in the business. Uh, But Craig is not his real name. His real name is Randy Hankins, and he tells the story of how he got his name. My real name is Randy Hankins, but in 1972, Fred Gooding, the program director at KARN, hired me and said, No, we're going to change your name. Your name's too country. (laughs) Randy Hankins sounds country. You've been in country. Is that country to you? Randy Hankins? Sounds country to me, but Y'all say it out loud. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He said, well, I'm going to give you the name of Craig O'Neill. It's a morning guy he worked with in Seattle. So you're Craig O'Neill, and I've had it since 1972. And the real Craig O'Neill has been in therapy since 1972. That's Craig O'Neill, or should I say Randy Hankins, talking about the origin of his name, So Country. I guess, yeah, I didn't realize, because uh, I'm not in broadcast TV, if that's, I mean, do a lot of broadcast reporters do that? Check, change their names or get a new? No. No. No, I mean, not in TV. Radio, it used to be really common. Okay. Um, they used to have time spots with names. Like if you were a disc jockey at KAAY from 10 to 1, you had a name, they would name you. <laughs> so, you know, you may be Don O'Sullivan. Yeah. And then the next guy that takes your place after you leave will be Don O'Sullivan. <laughs> so, yeah, they were naming people like that all the time. In TV, I've only known of one person that really wanted to change their name. Okay. And, uh, you know, I didn't make anybody do that. I yeah. just seems kind of odd to do that. But, yeah. you know, that was back in the early days of radio. So All right. 
So what are we going to talk about now? Oh, fundraising. Yeah, fundraising. I mean, that's one thing these guys all have in common is that they raise a lot of money for a lot of different nonprofit organizations. They they host events. Uh, they they have telethons or fundraising stunts. And one of those stunts, Tommy Smith would do, I think it was for the Heart Association, he would go up on a billboard. And, you know, the the ledge where the workers put the billboard up, he vowed to stay up there for I don't know how many days. But also he would broadcast from there in the mornings, but he said he was also going to spend the night. So he took a tent up there on that weird little ledge. Yes. It doesn't seem too safe, but... um, yeah, and then he fessed up here at this uh, event that how he sort of cheated. The living billboard with the American Society. Oh, yeah. We got that billboard across the street from UAR. And I was supposed to stay up there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that lasted about a half a night. And I went and got a dummy and put a lighter on it. Not so charitable after all. <laughs> yeah. Hey, he got the money. I guess yeah, he did raise the he, money. So he uh, just we'll think about that for the next cheater. for the yeah. next uh, KUAF fundraiser. I don't know yeah. if that'll work for us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then uh, so Craig O'Neill also uh, speaks a little bit about how he uh, helped raise money and, and his work with charity and hosting antics. Yeah, and he just his problem is he can't say no. Yeah. Over the years, they've, they've been very, they can be telethons, they can be bikeathons, they can be thonathons, they can be <laughs> just all these things. That, and basically, it boils down to not being able to say no. Yeah. So I've just said yes a lot, especially at Danny Joe Crawford. <laughs> That's Craig O'Neill speaking at the Legends of Radio event in Little Rock from March. Yeah, and let's bring in Bob Robbins. He was with Kissin, K-S-S-N, country radio. was number one for years and years. Won all kinds of national country music awards. But he's big on fundraising, especially uh, Toy Hill. It's the Toys for Tots Okay. Uh, at Christmas time. And he talks about uh, his various charities. You know, I never worried about what worked or what didn't. I just always thought if you gave your best, you gave your energies, whatever happened was a step ahead of what you got when you started. You got it. Amen. And uh, yeah. that's my attitude on participating in any kind of uh, kind of work that can raise funds or help people. Bob Robbins of KSSN speaking about his charity work. Now, uh, Broadway Joe also has, does a lot of charity work, but I thought this was kind of interesting. He brought up sort of the power of radio and talks about a, a very intense hostage situation that he inadvertently became involved in. He had some people in a, in a hangar at a crop duster plant hostage, and the only person he wanted to talk to was Broadway Joe. <laughs> And uh, I never had any training in hostage negotiation. <laughs> but uh, 
the state police was whispering in one area, they were telling me what to say, and I was talking to this guy, and I really think that I, at that day I understood the power of radio that really, uh, people wow. really listen to you to pay attention to what you're saying and they trust you. Wow. Because the only person he wanted to talk to was me. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, needless to say, every, all of the hostages were released and uh, he was apprehended and no one was hurt. Wow. So I Joe Booker speaking at the Legends of Radio event in Little Rock there. Uh, at the end, though, all four uh, were asked about their legacy. Uh, what did they have to say? Well, um, here's let, let's hear first from Broadway Joe. Yeah, it's, it's community, man. I mean, I think that's the thing that all of us have in common is we've served our communities. And so uh, I'm a firm believer that the only thing that's left in your day to go into the legacy that you need when you the things that you do in the lives and the souls that you touch when you're here. So hopefully we've touched enough souls and uh, touched enough people through our community service and what we've done on the radio to where uh, we'll leave some, 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 some type of memories that we've helped something to make a difference in our community and a positive change in our community. That's what uh, I like my legacy. Okay, next was Craig O'Neill, and he has... Craig can be. It was just simple and to the point. Legacy? The question is, what do I want my legacy to be? Yeah, to be that right. when people say Craig O'Neill, they smile. Wow. Bob Robbins, who's been broadcasting for more than 70 years now, uh, actually got a little emotional during his closing remarks. Legacy, I want to live is how much I love this job that we call a job in the business of radio. All of the changes that I have been blessed to have seen and been a part of and worked through, the good ones that I have loved, the ones that I didn't like, but kept my mouth shut. But at the top of all of that, I just hope that the people when they think of Bob will think how much that he loved his children and how much his wife was the top of everything he did. And then Tommy Smith was just sort of an aw shucks. <laughs> uh, let's just get to the point. Yeah. Uh, legacy? I have no idea. I think other people can judge me. I'm just an average guy. I have my flaws. Have my good days, my bad days. I'm just a, just a guy. So that was uh, Tommy Smith speaking at the Legends of Radio event from Little Rock earlier this year. So, Randy, what was your takeaway from the event? What What did you get out of? Well, of I, being at I this? really en- enjoyed seeing people that I'd worked with over yeah. the years, and the fact that. The four of them were able to actually be humble yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, their personalities are so big on the radio and at uh, MC events. Um, it, it was nice to just see them sort of cut loose and uh, be themselves. And they're funny guys. They're naturally funny. And, well, actually, you can see the entire uh, evening event on our website if you want to stream it. Yeah, and it is interesting because I think it's kind of a a time that's passed now. You know, you don't really get that same, you know, 
big personalities, especially on radio, yeah. uh, these days are, are that connected. It feels like it's a lot more. It's so automated. Yeah. And, you know, like Joe Booker said, it's so unusual to have a market where you have that kind of talent that stays that long. Yeah. And, you know, like Danny Joe said at the beginning, they have more than, what, 200 years of experience between the four of them. Wow. It's pretty impressive. Very impressive. Yeah. So, yeah, if you get a chance, Google Prior Center, go to our events, and uh, check this out, Legends of Radio. All right, and it's all available on the website. Thanks for talking to me, Randy. Hey, thanks for having me. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Okay. Arkansas Community Foundation has helped Arkansans fulfill their charitable goals for 45 years. With half a billion in assets, the foundation exists to help inspire solutions and connect resources to build Arkansas communities forever. ARCF.org for more information. The Artisphere Festival Orchestra returns to Walton Arts Center with two main stage concerts under the baton of maestro Corrado Rivera's featuring more than 90 premier musicians from around the world. Presenting works by Piazzolla, Martucci, and Mendelssohn on May 23rd, and an evening of Strauss and Stravinsky, May 27th. Tickets and more at artisphererefestival.org. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Timothy Dennis. The band The Flip-Off Pirates has been a part of the Fayetteville music scene for the better part of three decades. Though they may not perform live as much these days as they did in the past, they still write and perform as a unit, and this week the band will release its third album. Bones from the Past will be released as part of a celebration Saturday evening at George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville. Last week, guitarists Matt Smith and Jeff Kearney from the Flip-Off Pirates joined me in the Herald and Blanche Kalk News studio to talk about the new album and about the release show happening this weekend. Matt and Jeff say this new album was almost 10 years in the making. We actually had almost two albums worth. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> when we started looking at it, we're like, "There's a there's a record and an EP here." Let's. <laughs> so yeah, we did it probably in a weekend or two three days, and uh, got all the tracks roughed out. Came back and edited it slowly. Like I believe I did some stuff right before the pandemic. Was like okay, and then I think it was two weeks later. Then I mean, live music is. Or any type of social activity is on halt. Right. So. Yeah, we sort of like chipped away at it over the years. And, you know, in 10 years, you can really improve your playing. (laughs) So (laughs) after that long, we were like thinking, oh, I think I can play that better now. And so if you have the opportunity to record a record this way, I really recommend it because not only do you get the uh, young angsty bits, but then also you get the, like, older, more gentle (laughs) bits as well, you know? (laughs) Musical maturity. (laughs) Yeah. So do these songs have a different meaning to you now, considering that you're different people than you were when they were written? I've always felt like the songs were pretty clear in their meaning in this band. This band has an unbelievable catalog of songs that we can't even remember how many. (laughs) So probably between the time of when Jeff and I joined the band in 97 to like 2005, I'm pretty sure we had 60 or 70 original songs, mm-hmm. at least 50. It's hard to say. As we played less, you know, the last 10 years, we've kept playing, but just not, you know, as much as back then. 
there's been a lot of new songs too. So it seems like to me it's a really good song just kind of feels like a really good song. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like they've changed the way I feel about them personally. Right. What's sort of changed for me is like my place within the song. I think that as I listen to them more and more, that became more clear over time, like where I rested in the song. And I think that, you know, just all of us playing together, that became a lot better. Recording is a, it's an interesting thing because what you think sounded great sometimes it's not that good and vice versa sometimes you think well i didn't like that take or or something and you hear it back and it's kind of magical that's the one you want to stick with so <laughs> that's so you true. really <laughs> never know what's interesting as i like to lean on friends of mine other musicians sound engineers sometimes to ask about my tone or my sound because as a musician you're on the stage and it sounds completely different when you're in the crowd right so it's just I feel like as I've gotten older and wiser about things, I've opened up to taking suggestions from people that I respect and trying to be humble about it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I agree that when you listen, as far as the songs and what the songs mean, nothing's really necessarily changed, but I agree with him on your placement of your particular instrument in in the song and what you can do to make it better or what you could do less of, you know? All that type of stuff. Yeah. yeah. What you can do less of is seems to be <laughs> happening a lot. You're like, whoa, I'm d- I could do like half that and it would be it would serve the song a lot better. And that's kind of our goal is just to serve the song, you know. Really the band starts with the songwriting of of Jake Whedon and he's just prolific songwriter. He's always writing and it just a truly unique, one of a kind individual, you know, and his it, songs have always been like one of a kind and and rare. He's a rare fellow, and uh, they you know they keep getting better and better. But this record, this is our third studio record, right? And it's called Bones from the Past. Right? Is that a reference sort of, to it just being since so we long started it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That and that's one of the tunes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's one of the songs on the record, and it's I think it's our best thing we've ever done. I think it's the best thing I've ever really been yeah. a part of musically. from the past it's coming out later this month yes not thematically but what would you say are some of the high points of the album like some of the better some of your favorite points of the album i would say one of the high points for me was getting to play with marlon davis who played drums on this record Hmm. and just came in and laid a perfect strong deliberate foundation to the music that we were playing um, he just really got it right out of the gate. He's someone I worked a whole lot with, and I just I remember when I was like, I got a drummer for us to play this gig in Little Rock. I remember when we practiced, and I looked at all the guys, and they were smiling real big, and I was like, yeah, I, I knew this would happen because he's one of the 
musical treasures of our state. His family is a giant figure of the gospel scene in Little Rock, and he just knows what to play, and he's he's very powerful. Kind of the perfect drummer at the time for us, um, just a power drummer. It's like, he just is very soulful. And For being a gospel player, he plays that devil music real good. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's just, I've worked with him a lot, and it's just he makes things easy. And to me, when I'm picking, if I'm picking, someone says, who do you want the best person in your band to be? I'm going to say drummer first oh, yeah. because yeah. it absolutely, absolutely is. It's the backbone. It's, yeah. Well, everything uh, builds off of that, yeah, right? If you don't yeah. have good drums, you don't have good bass or anything else it's, on top of that. Absolutely. For how I play specifically, especially when I improvise, I can tell when I play with certain kinds of drummers, I sound way better. I need someone who kind of talks back with me. Yeah. Not, not mean like talk back like yeah you can have a musical conversation <laughs> though like, like yeah my style specifically needs someone who plays melody while they're keeping beat party slash festival for this new album coming up later this month, right? Yes, yes. That's May 21st at George's Majestic Lounge, and we got a pretty stacked lineup of bands for Pretty diverse lineup, too, in terms of style. Yeah, we've always been as multi-genre as we can, so I wanted the lineup to kind of reflect that. It's something I never quite understood about the way lineups were put together. Mm -hmm. I do understand it, but for me personally... I think it's better to hear as many different things as you can. Like, I mean, even if it's the music you love the most, if you say you go to a two- or three-day festival, it's kind of like, okay, well, I've heard whatever, bluegrass all weekend, and it's fantastic. But I think I want to hear, like, some rock or something. Yeah, you know? a little bit of thrash. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. yeah. Turn it yeah. up. Speaking of thrash, uh, we got the salesmen on there who right. are uh, some fellow rockers, a trio out of this town, and they're super rad. And on the flip side, you've got Patty Steele with a little bit of folk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Patty Steele has really been pushing hard lately and, and just playing all over the place and really getting herself out there. Putting and, uh, in the work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. She is working hard. Then we got Monk is King, who's like right. a funkier band from Fayetteville that are really good. They've been playing a lot around town and everywhere. Also putting going. in the hard work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All, all, all these artists are... We're lucky to have them here. And yep. Of course, Rachel, she's fantastic. Another one of those musicians who just blesses every instrument she touches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And another person who is just a one of a kind. You know, you don't, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anybody like doing the sort of one man or the no man band, as right. she calls it. Right. <laughs> you know, 
you know, you go up to a club and see the wall shaking and then go inside and you're like, oh, well, that is one person. How, how can that be? <laughs> yeah, and it's just great to see a successful female artist. And I've been so fortunate to be uh, at one point. It seemed like other than Flip Off Pirates, I think every band I was in had a female vocalist lead singer. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> I just, you know, because of the industry is, it's let's just face it, it's harder for females a lot of times. And it's kind of a male dominant industry mm-hmm. and uh these fearless women are really inspiring you know just playing music it's just it's a great joy and it's a gift and and i just recommend it it's just great for your spirit and that's what music's all about it's for bringing people together and it doesn't matter what your politics or what any of this and that is, music is the one of the things that all goes away at that point in time, and it's not a competition. You know, I love sports, but there's no teams in music. It's just a joy, and that's what that's what it is, in my opinion. You know? Yeah, yeah. And before I forget, Mildenhall too is oh, also yeah. on the uh, lineup, and they're they're great. They're sort of a multi-genre outfit too. They do a lot of like soul stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're happy to have them on there, too. So it's a stacked lineup for 15 bucks. Which, that's a lot of music Six for not bands. a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you can get tickets on George's website. And we have a, a deal going right now where uh, if you buy four tickets, you can get them for the price of three. So hmm. grab up some friends, and uh, you can get your tickets a little cheaper. So off of this new record, if there's one track that y'all feel like is representative of where the band is today, what w- what would it be? Probably. Emmanuel. 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 Yeah. Yeah, you want to hear that one? Yeah. Jeff Kearney and Matt Smith, members of the band The Flip-Off Pirates, talked with me last week inside the Herald and Blanche Kalk News Studio at KUAF. You can find out more about the band on their Facebook page, and you can find their previous music releases on YouTube. 
The release show for their new album, Bones of the Past, is this Saturday, May 21st at George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville. Tickets are $15, doors are at 7 p.m. Sharing the bill that evening with the Flip-Off Pirates will be Patty Steele, Rachel Ammons, The Salesman, Monkus King, and Mildenhall. By the way, Mildenhall is scheduled to visit us this week at the Carver Center for Public Radio. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore is expected to have that conversation for us on Friday's edition of Ozarks at Large. Speaking of future editions of Ozarks at Large, this week we do have a few programming notes to share. Wednesday on our program, we'll take an entire hour to share with you the recent spring concert by the Fort Smith Chorale, a KUAF tradition. The concert Leave the World Behind was recorded in late April at First United Methodist Church in Fort Smith, and we'll bring you the full concert Wednesday at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF. Then on Thursday, we'll celebrate Mozart in the Museum. On our noon show, we'll share highlights from previous editions of Mozart in the Museum, recorded and broadcast live over the years by KUAF from Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville. It's become a highlight of Artisphere each year, and we are excited to relive some of the great performances by the Artisphere Festival Orchestra. That's Thursday at noon on Ozarks at Large. Then for our 7 o'clock show on Thursday, it's this year's edition of Mozart in the Museum, broadcast live on air on 91.3 FM and online at KUAF.com from Crystal Bridges. This year's program will be hosted by KUAF's Lee Wood and Miroslava Panayatova from University of Arkansas's Music Department. The Artisphere Festival Orchestra, under the baton of Maestro Corrado Rivaris, will perform selections from Mozart's Piano Concerto No. 23, Symphony No. 39, and more. The concert will also feature performances by the Van Cliburn Competition Laureate, pianist Benedetto Lupo. That's Thursday evening beginning at 7 o'clock on KUAF, your public radio station. This is 91.3 FM, KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Springdale, and Dutch Mills. 91.3 KUAF is a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. I'm Timothy Dennis. And I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. Contributors to today's program included Jacqueline Froelich, Matthew Moore, and Daniel Kruth. Special thanks to Randy Dixon from the Prior Center for stopping by and sharing another dive into the Prior Center archives with us. Additional content today came from the hardworking news team at KUAR, Public Radio in Little Rock and Central Arkansas. We'll be back tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. with another brand new edition of Ozarks at Large. Until then, be well, take care of yourself, and have a great rest of your Monday.